0: Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community (laughs) calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness.
1: Welcome. Welcome, welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness Podcast. This is a villager-driven episode. Um, Today with me is Michael Lukic, who you may have stumbled across if you've searched for anything in the GTO Plus market. Lukic has almost as many YouTube subscribers as me, which makes me kind of sad about my YouTube uh, marketing ability. But for what it's worth, Lukic is a professional marketer, data scientist, business strategist, He graduated with an engineering degree from the University of Maryland in 2003. He spent his 20-year career working in various marketing and tech roles within Fortune 500 organizations. He also has an MBA. He teaches a graduate business analytics course at Georgetown University. The dude's a stud. He's into a lot of things, poker being his main hobby that occupies a lot of his mental bandwidth. Lukic, welcome to the show, sir.
2: Great to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me.
1: It's my pleasure. It's been super great having you be a part of the community over this last like six months or so. I think the first time I saw you was you know you were involved with some sulfur Y stuff, and I stumbled across your website, I believe, on Twitter.
2: Yeah, it's uh, my, my website's been um, up uh, for the last you know year and a half now. I haven't. Uh, Added a lot of content to that over the course of the last, you know, six to eight months or so. I've uh, been sucked into a lot of, uh, you know, various priorities or so. But it's been a great way to kind of share some of my own poker work and you know the things that I'm working on, uh, you know, more broadly, and uh, really kind of put my work out there to you know test whether whether or not some of the ideas that I have or the work that I have have done um, holds water. So
1: yeah, and. I assume that you're getting some feedback on that how how's the feedback been
2: it's been awesome I mean it's been um, it's been really cool uh, you know seeing it grow month over month and especially kind of seeing where the people are coming from um, I think the last I, I checked there was you know somewhere like 70 or 80 different countries I'm getting people coming from uh, you know all of those various countries coming to the website um, you know I'll get emails or YouTube comments on you know some of the gto plus videos I've made uh from you know Brazil from the Netherlands you know right from from all over the world of uh you know people with you know generally positive uh feedback which has been um you know really really great and, and motivating too so
1: awesome man um so today's show is about your origin story you're obviously a high performer you've achieved a lot very driven individual and we'll start out by asking you the story of how you got involved into playing cards?
2: Um, Well, it's, uh, you know, it, it's probably, uh, I guess I'll level set by saying I'm 40, right? So, uh, you know, I was uh, coming out of college right when the moneymaker boom happened. So, uh, you know, like a lot of people kind of in my age bracket, that was a a massive influence in my uh, just kind of love you know my development of the of, of loving this game and just kind of uh, you know being in the right place at the right time uh you know, i started playing a little bit before moneymaker one you know in college with friends but we were mostly playing like dealers of choice games so you know uh we would be playing like chicago or follow the queen or guts or really mostly like silly wild card games uh to the point where when someone actually chose hold'em in one of those games uh it was uh you know one quick hand that we would immediately move on to the wild card game after that um, of it course was, uh, somewhat boring um, and you know, I actually, I, I, won often in those games. Uh, and I thought at the time that that meant that I was really good at poker, but it really just, I know now that it means that I was just better than my friends, but we were all, you know, fairly bad. I was also probably running pretty well at the time too. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, so in, back in 2002, I had my 21st birthday. I, I went with some friends to Atlantic city and they weren't even running, uh, or spreading no limit, you know, at the casinos back then. So I was playing some seven card stud and, Limit them. I went up to the Tropicana there, and I think I won like three or four hundred dollars or so. So you know, I came home and I thought I was uh, just a rock star at poker. I thought I was going to just crush the world. Um, uh, and, I, and I had a buddy at the time who was was better than me, and 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 he had a lot of success online. So I decided to deposit a couple hundred dollars and Party and proceeded to lose it all in a matter of like days. Uh, and you know, that happened a couple of times before I I realized that I, 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 maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And I, you know, was going to have to potentially, you know, learn some more to be able to get better at this game and improve.
1: Yeah. I think I remember my first deposit on party poker was like $75. And I started out playing two, four limit shorthanded or heads up. And by the end of the night, I was playing 1530 heads up. And my balance was like $1,200. <laughs> so
2: not really a thing back then too.
1: <laughs> not really a thing. To be fair, like I'd already been playing poker. So like I had more behind the $75 that I could have deposited, but like it was just total degeneracy of like, let's move up and let's see if we can get into that thirty-sixty party poker game. That was like the biggest game around in those days with, you know, 70 people on the wait list and two static games where they didn't open any more tables Um, I we I did finally make it to that game, by the way, and I got my brains absolutely beaten in. Like it was just not a fun experience. I'll never forget Auntie RoRo, whoever you are or wherever you are, Auntie RoRo. I still see you in my nightmares. She or he, I think I read somewhere that that may have been like a collective screen name behind like multiple pros that used it, um, which would make sense because, golly, they destroyed me, but. In your discovery of poker before then, had you had any other flirtations with strategy games? Did you have an inclination to thinking about strategy? Was it something that interested you?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, all from all throughout childhood, uh, I was, uh, you know, I'd always been drawn to one. I've been drawn to numbers, right? So so numbers and math, right? So, uh, you know, from from a little, little kid, I've always been, you know, fairly good at, just working with numbers in my head. And, you know, so that's always been kind of something that's uh, I've been really interested in, but, you know, just from a a games and strategy standpoint, um, you know, I I grew up playing sports throughout my entire childhood. So, uh, and, and not only was I, you know, playing sports, but I was always really fascinated with the strategy of the games themselves. So playing football, I was always the guy, you know, with ending up in my coach's office after practice, you know, drawing plays or looking at film to try to attack different defenses uh, you know, working with my basketball coaches in high school to, you know, figure out different ways we can run offenses to uh, you know, attack the ways our our opponents are actually defending us. So, you know, that's always been something that's really interesting to me is, is in a, in a game against somebody else or against a group of people uh, trying to figure out where weaknesses might live in somebody else's strategy and being able to exploit that.
1: And poker is kind of the ultimate as it relates to exploitation and constructing strategies and finding, you know, the failure points that will make our strategy better than theirs, which ultimately leads to us being a winning poker player. So after you're the rock star that went to Atlantic City, you won a couple hundred bucks, then you punted some on party poker. Was it just poker continually in your life after that?
2: Um, you know, it's definitely ebbed and flowed over the years, uh, uh, but it, it, it really kind of ramped up from there. So I went out and bought some books. I, I remember I'm kind of a book junkie in the sense of, um, I have a huge bookshelf just full of, of, you know, poker books. Um, but you know, I remember the first book I bought was, uh, kind of a poor book. Uh, it was called Ken Warren teaches Texas Hold'em. I think it just had nice branding in, in the Barnes and Noble that I walked through, You know, so I read that. uh, I read, you know, Super System at the time. And then, you know, I I think it really kind of exploded for me when I stumbled across some of the Sklansky books. So, um, you know, reading Theory of Poker and uh, the one he did with Ed Miller, uh, Small Stakes Hold'em, and then finding two plus the two plus two forms from there. So, you know, just kind of immersing myself in that world. It found, I found relatively quickly, I went from, you know, being a losing online player to, you know, a break even one to, you know, actually winning some money playing online, you know, back then at uh party and full tilt.
1: So you mentioned eb- ebbing and flowing. So tell me about the ebbing. What happened that took you away from the game and then brought you back in?
2: Well, you know, I, I don't think it really ebbed until probably the mid 2000s because I, I was kind of on a, a nice trajectory upward. Um, mid 2010s. Sorry, this is no, this is not quite 2010s yet. This is okay, this so still, like 2005, 2005 okay, okay. timeframe. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, I, I was playing a few nights a week, but um, you know I, I graduated from college. I, I took a job at a, a tech consulting firm. So I spent my days uh, you know working um, at, at a technology consulting firm uh, doing you know whatever it is that you do at a tech consulting firm during the day and, you know, I'd, I'd wake up at seven, I'd get ready for work, I'd work until six at night, I'd come home, um, you know, take an hour or two nap and, you know, grab some dinner, and then I'd fire up an online session, um, at, you know, on party or full tilt from like 10 to like two or three in the morning and, you know, rinse and repeat, go to sleep for four hours, and then go to work the next day and do it do it all over again. Um, so <laughs> it, was a, it was a busy time and, but I was continually getting better and I was continually improving. And I I think my kind of thirst for knowledge of the game was, was, was there too. I found myself during the day when people were kind of procrastinating at work instead of, you know, we didn't have social media to kind of procrastinate that much back then. So, you know, I spent my time on two plus two, just browsing through the forums. Right. So I, and that was a great place for me to just continually to get better at poker. And, you know, it's, By 2005 2006, I was kind of at a little bit of a crossroads where I really seriously contemplated playing full time. I realized that you know I'm making decent money on the side playing party and uh, playing on party and full tilt, but I just couldn't get enough volume in to you know replace the income that I would make from my day job. So at some point, I was going to have to take that leap of faith, and you know I was ready to go quit my job and and go pro. Kind of in that 2006 time frame when, you know, it kind of felt like the universe was telling me that something and, and and gave me some, uh you know, negative feedback loops of uh, or feedback loops to kind of push me in the other direction, uh, you know, first of which was party pulling pulling out of the US market, right. So that kind of scared me a little bit. Uh, the other piece was, uh, you know, I was ready to move to, you know, San Diego with with a buddy of mine. Um, and we were both going to go play poker and, you know, Within a matter of a month from each other, he broke his wrist and I tore my ACL. So we ended up kind of pushing off our trip a little bit. And you know, in the meantime, while I'm pushing off, you know, my trip, I'm pushing off quitting work. Um, You know, I ended up getting a a big promotion and a big pay increase. My salary went up like 50 percent. You know, in my day job. So you know, all of that kind of, I'm I'm looking at my options for going forward, and I'm realizing that you know maybe poker's not necessarily the route I want to kind of take my my full term career. So you know, didn't necessarily kind of increase the volume from there. I also then you know, kind of in that 2006 timeframe, I feel like I the game was evolving, and I and I kind of lost a little bit of the hunger. I didn't really put as much work in anymore, and I I started seeing my win rate drop. So you know, I really remember distinctly when people started three betting a lot more preflop. I think that was you know 2006 2007 timeframe, and I just had no idea how to combat that. So, you know, and that was frustrating to me, right? I'd been beating the game for a long time. And then all of a sudden I'm just getting three bet all the time now. And I'm just like, wait, wait a second. This isn't how it was supposed to work.
1: Yeah. I I remember that time period because there were some like high volume pros that had like a folded three bet of like 72%. And, you know, some of their four bets would be like just four bet rips. And (laughs) I remember that time is like a time to just attack, uh, especially the regs because they were just folding so much to three bets. And I mean, to be fair, like I'm sure I was overfolding to three bets as well because pretty much everybody was at that time period because you didn't really know how to how to defend against it. Um, you didn't
2: have solve ranges
1: <laughs> or anything like that. Or- right. Like we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and then all of a sudden like – three betting comes in vogue and we got to like figure out how to defend against this new strategy with very limited resources. What that meant was time spent thinking about it um, and putting in volume and getting reps and then kind of like intuitively navigating your way through. But, but one thing that, I mean, I've spoken about it multiple times on the show, but I hear people who, I don't know if they lived in an alternate universe as I did back then, but they will say that like, in the mid 2000s everybody's just giving it away everywhere and it's very easy to just print money back then and they're everybody's giving it away like that wasn't my experience in the mid 2000s like players are still playing at a high level um, for the games then and it wasn't just like easy mode like there were very very few winning players um and we also had visibility on that with like poker table ratings because you could look up a screen name on any site and see their win rate um, based on the hands that they had tracked and the data that they had collected. And like, there weren't a ton of just like crushers in the world. So, like, maybe, maybe they just lived in an alternate universe than me, but my experience was like, it was still hard to win.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, and you know, I, I, I don't think that's inaccurate at all. And I mean, I, you know, I definitely feel like, you know, during the you know, 2004, 2005, 2006 timeframe, you know, I, I was winning a lot and often. Um, but I think a lot of that was just kind of, all, I was also putting in the work at the time. And, and, you know, when I stopped putting in the work, I, I, uh, you know, stopped winning <laughs> as much sure. as I, did. so, you know, it's, uh, I didn't look at it as any more complex than that. Right. So, you know, you the game was, is, is constantly was, and is constantly evolving and you got to continue to put the work in to
1: be able to, you know, continue to beat things. <laughs> and if you think about it, like I played the 200 sit and goes on party and, you know, I battled Z Justin every single day, like mm-hmm. for many hours every single day, right? And, and some of the other crushers of that time period, like these are the high level players that yeah. are trying to make it in the world that are now, you know, world famous and like top of the leaderboard as it relates to like all time poker winnings. But back then they're trying to make their name and they're battling in the same games that everybody else is. And like, if you think that there's ever been a time period where you're playing sit and goes against Z Justin, who's in 90% of them and like shit's easy. It's not easy. Trust me. <laughs> very
2: true that is very very true
1: so you went on the career path instead of pursuing the poker path uh and what happened next um as it relates to you know both
2: well you know so i I, I kind of started working my way up the the corporate uh ladder so uh, you know I worked at uh, like I mentioned mentioned I worked in tech consulting for uh, a number of years, and I kind of settled into playing poker part time. And, you know, since I wasn't killing it anymore, I, uh, you know, online, I was, my volume had kind of slowly declined over the course of the next few years. So I play periodically. Um, and then I would take the occasional like road trip to Atlantic City with friends. But really, that was that, right? I was playing, you know, very, very, very recreationally, um, and not super often. And, you know when black friday hit in 2011 at that point i was i was already in grad school uh i was you know going back to grad school to get an mba uh in marketing and uh you know at that point kind of poker was a blip on my radar right so it was actually you know it, black friday wasn't that big of a deal to me uh you know i remember actually playing online about a month or you know two weeks before black friday on full tilt and then when i saw the black friday you know hit on two plus two and everyone's freaking out i just was kind of like huh You know, I, I only had at that point, I think I had like a thousand dollars in my full till account. So it was nothing significant or anything like that, that, you know, uh, but it was just kind of like, uh, you know, okay, well, I guess we're just playing live from now on after that. (laughs) So
1: good thing. I went this other path instead of the poker path, um, kind of dodged a bullet there. Although I do think that like, man, back in 2006, if you would have, um, invested into like the marketing side of it and been able to generate like affiliate revenue and sign people up, People made many of pretty penny back in those days.
2: There are certainly um, opportunities, right? You can look back on and be like, yeah, that's, (laughs) it it seems obvious now. I'm sure that that probably was a a good uh, route for that. I also look at, you know, I I kind of shifted. um, So I shifted um, on the professional side. I I went back to grad school and got an MBA focused in marketing. And that's kind of when I pivoted my career into the marketing space. I had that tech background and the data-driven background. um, And now I kind of added the marketing and strategy component to it. Uh, I actually kind of lucked out in in many regards of doing that because uh, you know right in the early you know 2010s that's when you know marketing and technology had kind of ex- started exploding. Uh, you know, social media was exploding. Um, How do we make need, money
1: from this? Which yeah, the
2: need for for people who were very data driven marketers uh, started exploding. And I was kind of in the right place at the right time and um, took, was able to take advantage of that from a professional standpoint. So, you know, I kind of look at that as a lucky kind of moment uh, for me.
1: Oh, um, for sure. I mean, we're all sort of the outside what's going on in the outside world influences us probably more than most of us care to admit And our career paths. And like, you know, I was born at the right time when online poker started booming. And I was of that age, you know, 19 years old and like, had already watched rounders, you know, like I watched rounders when I remember watching it on VHS, like in when I was living with my parents in high school, which was probably three years or so before moneymaker, and then always had a natural inclination to games. And then moneymaker exploded. And boom, it was very natural and obvious to me what I was supposed to do with my with my life. And in a different time period, none of that happens. And just a totally different story. So we're all kind of chained to the circumstances that are going on in society you know, when we're at that age where we're kind of trying to figure things out?
2: So when I, uh, like, so after I graduated from grad school, I continued to just kind of work. Uh, um, this Now I was more, more working at other organizations, either in their marketing departments or in their, uh, you know, marketing analysis departments. Um, I also, and, and I think where uh, the the flow kind of jumped back into my poker life was when I really started developing a, a love for playing live. And I think a lot of that um, was born out of starting to have options that were close to me in the DC area. So, you know, back in the mid 2000s, I had to take the three hour drive to Atlantic city. If I ever wanted to go play live poker, Then, you know, early 2010s, I could start going to Charlestown in West Virginia and get a game in. And that was an hour drive. Uh, You know, then a few years after that, Maryland Live opened up in Baltimore, which was half an hour from me. And, you know, subsequently MGM National Harbor opened up, which was, you know, another 20, 30 minutes for me. So all of a sudden now having a lot of options where I could just get in the car and, you know, drive 25 minutes and, you know, go get a session in um, and then come home that night, uh, that you know really opened the doors to you know me playing a lot more poker and i started realizing that i just loved the live game way more than i loved playing online and it, you know that's kind of was my i look at that as like my second you know career of playing poker starting again
1: what was it about live poker that you loved compared to online you know i, I always
2: i think one thing that i'm really good at is being able to just take a lot of pieces of information um even information that you're not able to necessarily quantify, but to kind of allow that information to seep into my decision-making process to kind of sway me one way or the other on, on making decisions. So um, I'm, I think I'm fairly observant um, when I'm playing live poker uh, and um, you know, things that I wouldn't necessarily you wouldn't pick up on playing playing online whereas you know someone's mannerisms how someone feels in the middle of a hand right um you know the, the their table talk um, actually looking at a showdown from earlier on uh, you know and things like that like kind of putting all of those pieces together um i'm I think I'm more equipped to do that in a live arena than I am in an online arena and then not to mention the last piece which is one thing I struggle with in the online world I, I don't know how people Play more than like four or five tables at any, any given time. But just having the ability to take a couple minutes to make a decision as opposed to having to rapidly fire off decision after decision, uh, that was an area where I, I spent, I did better with the extra time, I think, than, than you know, I may have done so in the online space.
1: And I think the social interactions are pretty important too, that you meet a lot of interesting people playing live poker, which is like not something that happens when yeah. you play online. Um, but yeah, you're getting a lot of data points that you can't get while you're playing online that you're able to kind of use and integrate in your strategy, find some more natural exploits and make it very obvious like, yeah, Lukic, you're a winning player. You're, you've you're got an edge against these guys because clearly they're making some pretty major mistakes. Uh, so what did you do after, you know, falling back in love with a game of live poker?
2: well i i did what i knew right which was you know i went and bought, bought more books <laughs> which like is you know i i never said that be really i was really you know good at um, optimally learning things right and um I, you know i think that's you know when when you and i started working together earlier earlier this year one of the things i even said to you then was um i have a lot of things rattling around in my brain and i think a lot of that is just the nature of you know, coming up and reading a lot of different books with, with a lot of, uh, you know, different concepts and they're all kind of stuck up there in my brain, but sometimes, you know, there are competing principles that are at play in, in each of those concepts. Right. So, and trying to sort through all of that is, is challenging,
1: but, uh, it's exceptionally challenging. So like, I'm like you too, I I read books and when I want to learn about something, I buy a book. This is like the first step. It's like, Oh, I want to learn more about X, buy a book. Let's see what it says. And one thing that I've learned just over the last few years is that like a lot of the concepts that are sung as the gospel in this world of poker are not actually the gospel. And there's a lot of things that people will state that are just not true. And when you look at the data, it's very obvious that like some things are just not true. And it's something that like, you can't really understand through anecdotal evidence, which I mean, obviously should resonate with you because of your day job and data analytics right like when you look at the data there's no denying the behavior of people and you just get that you know zoomed out perspective you see what's going on but when you're in it it's very hard to kind of discern you know what's actually happening versus like only my limited experience of what's happening and i mean i think that like the world of poker specifically is going to be data driven i mean well I think the smartest people in poker are going to be using data-driven methodology to construct strategies because like to me it's the only way that kind of makes sense
2: i totally agree it's uh you know I, i and i see that on a daily basis like at work in the sense of you know i'm talking to marketers in my organization and you know they're they're giving me anecdotal evidence as to you know why something will or won't work and you know i can simply just point back and say well look i you know I I can't tell you whether what experiences that you've had in the past or not, but what I see here is, is, is what actually happened. And, and, um, (laughs) you know, that's, that's gonna, that's what I'm going to lean on is, 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 is the actual, uh, you know, data, data data-driven evidence that we have here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like it's in the village when somebody says, Oh, well, fish just have it like hundred percent of the time when they take X action. And I'm like, Mm, actually, from the data that I'm looking at, it looks like they're bluffing like forty percent of the time. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's easy to again, we're biased. We're human beings that are biased by nature. And so, like whenever they do have the bluff, it doesn't really register on our radar. Whenever they have it, we grab a hold of that because we have like a negative internal reaction. We place importance on it more than when they don't have it, and then we just lead, we're led to believe this sort of narrative. That isn't based in like the reality of the truth of the situation. And I think that everybody ought to really think about that as it relates to just belief systems that they have. Like, is this based on data? Is this based on evidence? Or is this based on just like anecdotal of experience of something that happened to somebody one time? And then it just became like a catchy saying that we use to use as like a compass in our lives to navigate like big decisions.
2: Yeah, I I, no, I totally agree. It's um you know it's if you if you haven't read um you know Daniel Kahneman's uh you know Thinking Fast um it's uh it's a an incredible book um that really dives into the ways in which we um make decisions but also. It explores all of the you know different biases that that we have just naturally as humans. And you know, I try to make sure that I'm always thinking of that and being cognizantly aware of like what biases that I have, right? And 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 making sure that I'm accounting for that when I'm making those decisions because you know, we all have those biases, right? And it's like, and, and that's never going to go away. But being aware of those can actually help you with your decision making process if you, are, you know, are accounting for that.
1: Yeah. And a lot of biases are kind of rooted in our identity too. And that's something that like, I've taken steps to kind of, um, you know, look at my identity, the things I I identify with, and kind of strip those away to where like, okay, I don't believe, you know, I'm not X, right? Like, say, it's a political thing, right? When you root your, this is like the classic example, or either politics or religion, you root your identity in such a thing. And then you are this way. And so like, you just discount everything that says that's contrary to anything that you believe is your identity, which will oftentimes lead you astray or oftentimes lead you to saying things like, Oh, so-and-so who believes this is just an idiot. And they're never right about anything in their entire lives. And, And like, That's just not a way to grow as a human being. It's not a way to make good decisions that are long term beneficial.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Go to chasing slash nuffle. Rated R. One hundred NL player, former sergeant Elijah Shears.
2: Before I got nuffle, I had run into a lot of doc bets, and I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it, and it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then it's repaid me just over and over and over again, and it's one of the most consistent moneymakers built into my strategy. That sheds light on just how bad your opponents are, and it took me 20 minutes to perfect it, and it's just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece.
0: <laughs> Go to slash courses
1: Um, let's get back to your, your path here. You rediscover live poker, you buy books. I know that at some point, at some point you get married, you have kids, you, you have a family, which also impacts both career and poker as well. So just tell me about that.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I met my wife in grad school. Um, you know, we got married in 2013 while this is going on. Um, you know, we uh had our first daughter in 2015, our second daughter in 2017. So I got two, you know, young, beautiful girls and uh, you know, they're a handful, but they're awesome. Um, so you know, I, I have a lot of you know compete uh, things competing for my time. Uh, but I still, you know, poker was kind of growing and, and snowballing as you know, more and more of a passion of mine. Um, and you know, I ended up, but I was I was still playing, you know, local two five games, right? I'm playing two five in the DC area. Uh, and I would say it's probably around the 2017 2018 timeframe when I started kind of dipping my toes in the the poker software water. Uh, so you know, I think the first software I had was um, you know CREV or Card Runners EV, um, and that kind of led me into you know GTO Plus and and and, and Pio. Uh So, um, but and that's really when I found kind of the all of a sudden. I was able to dive into the data myself rather than just read the concepts in, in in books, and I think that's when my learning took off. And you know, subsequently, I think that's when my uh, you know just uh, results took off. Uh, so uh, you know, it, it I started realizing uh, you know in when using solvers that a lot of the tools that I was using um, you know from a poker standpoint. It's really not. It really wasn't much different in, from a methodology standpoint in terms of the you know data tools that I was using from in my day job of analyzing marketing. I'm just you know it, it's attacking a different problem, but the ideas are still the same. You know we're working with getting uh, the inputs that you put into those systems to get some outputs that are going to uh, give you some key learnings. And I started kind of using that methodology to help. Um, develop my own game, uh, you know, develop better strategies. And, you know, I, I started going from being this like, you know, 2-5 player who could generally beat a 2-5 game, but, you know, had trouble with the tricky regs who, you know, were being aggressive in, in, in 2-5 games to all of a sudden crushing 2-5 games, moving up to playing, you know, 5-10 and 10-20 and, you know, doing well in those games as well, too. So, and I, and I really do credit a lot of that to, you know, just getting into the weeds and, and doing a lot of work, uh, you know, within solvers and 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 helping to kind of take a lot of those disparate concepts and 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 pull them together a little bit more, and actually see how that plays out in the data.
1: Yeah, and uh, I have to imagine that your experience in using these type of tools was a giant boon to you because you sort of understand how to get in the weeds, as you said, get granular, uh, look at spots very precisely that. Sort of eliminates naturally the oversimplifications that lots of people just kind of make or assume when they just look at solves. And you know, I've seen your your website is lukich.io, right? Yep. L u k i c h dot i o. I've seen your research. You've you've shown it to me. Um, it's a level of detail that makes me very jealous, and the way that it's all put in there and organized and structured, I'm like damn it, this guy, like, this is really good. Um, it's really, really good. I wish my stuff could be like this, just this clean looking, you know, nice and structured and organized. You're selling um, yourself short, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: organization, like my, my. this has been sort of the downfall, I think, in my life is not, that's not my strong point is like the organization side. It's more of like the creation side that is my upside. Up it's like, I love getting deep and going granular and creating this thing and kind of solving problems and putting all the pieces together. But as it relates to like organizing things, um, that takes a lot of my time and energy. And then I think that like somebody like you just does a much better job. You probably have a lot more experience in doing it as well.
2: You know, I think spending, uh, you know, almost 20 years building dashboards for uh, <laughs> um, business leaders uh, have probably helped out along the <laughs> way a little bit with that. So. Yeah,
1: pro- probably gives you a little natural, <laughs> natural edge. Um, so tell me about the discovery of Greatness Village for you and sort of my work and what I'm doing. Because like I said, you know, I, I know that you're a fairly prominent member of the Solve for Why community, right? Like you've had office hours there, you've ran webinars.
2: Yeah, um, so uh well I guess I can, you know, kind of go back to um, you know, finding solve for y first and then you know kind of uh get along the way. So um I I actually found solve for Y uh you know towards the end of 2018 into early 2019, and I um, you know, was looking for guidance on um you know really how to kind of take my game to the next level and that's when i kind of stumbled across um you know berkey and and and, and chin and uh you know the team and all of the content that they were putting out and you know i really kind of a lot of the work that they were doing resonated with me uh so you know i went to the academy that year and um you know developed a little bit of a of both a poker and professional relationship um with, what with berkey you, what was your experience
1: uh, at the academy and also with you know berkey and the gang
2: you know, I, you know, it, it was, my experience was great. It was, it was really, really cool, uh, um, you know, immersive experience. Um, you know, for me being a, a recreational player, it, it kind of felt like what I imagined like space camp felt like for uh, you know, a lot of like older people. Yeah. I was on this vacation and all of a sudden I'm getting like, you know, filmed on RFID tables and with commentary, uh, you know, by Berkey and Shin. So for me, it was kind of like this awesome, you know, uh, you know, vacation experience almost, right. Like, um, where I'm learning a lot though, as well, uh, I'm sure, you know, for the professionals that were there who were really going for a training perspective, uh, perspective, you know, solely, uh, you know, I'm not sure if they had the, the same exact experience that I did, but I, I had this amazing experience there. I thought it was, you know, the immersive nature of it was, was, was great. Um, you know, I mean, how. How much money do you do? Do you know world class poker players charge for their time? And you know I'm spending eight to nine hours a day for three consecutive days with these guys. You know I could grab them at, at a lunch break and just chat about something for thirty minutes, right? So it's it was it was extremely well worth it from a, a, a monetary standpoint. I think I got a lot of, out of it, and you know so I. But I started working with Berkey um, and, and team a lot more. Uh, both in kind of helping a little bit with, with um from an advisory standpoint with with their marketing but also just kind of getting more you know in-depth coaching um in the live arena uh and that's really where i kind of shifted to to, to starting my website uh, at the beginning beginning of uh 2020 was cuz i really wanted to kind of ramp out uh my live playing um when you know something called covid hit last year and that's um you know really kind of threw a wrinkle in into that so you know, it was last year when, when COVID hit that I realized, okay, well, I'm I'm not playing live anymore. Right. And, and this, you know, last year was supposed to be my, my big year where I was going to play in my first world series. I was going to, uh, you know, really try to get on a lot of stream games and things like that. And now I had to change gears a little bit. So I started playing online a little bit more last year and, you know, kind of fell into some of the same ruts that I was falling in before with, from an online perspective, right. The game's different. There's a lot you know, even though you're playing the same game, um, we're working with a lot of different data points in the middle of a hand or the middle of a, of a situation. Right. So you're just inherently, um, you know, you, we have to kind of have different strategies or, or slightly more nuanced strategies, I would say. Um, so I, um, and I was, I was doing well, I, um, but I was kind of, uh, you know, not necessarily doing as well as I was in, in the live arena. I, I was okay with that until earlier this year when, uh, we, um, I, I'm fortunate enough to live in Michigan, where we actually have legal online poker, and they went live in January this year. And I realized that my online volume was probably going to go up significantly because all of a sudden now I'm in a player pool that's gated, and um, you know it's uh, I'm not necessarily playing the crushers in, in Europe or in US, right? I'm, I'm I'm kind of in this this Michigan player pool area. Um, where there are crushers here in the Michigan player pool area, but it's not necessarily t- to the volume that you'd see at kind of these rest of world sites. Uh, and um, you know, after the initial kind of buzz of uh, you know recreational players kind of died out, I went back to kind of playing break even poker again, and uh, that's where I kind of uh, was introduced to you. And I, I really wanted to um, help help. Transition my my live game into you know a successful online game as well too. Um, so uh, you know that's when I kind of started uh, you know working with you, which I guess now has been what five ish months or so. So it's been a a good yeah. journey there.
1: Yeah. How did you get in- introduced to me? Was it through the podcast? I don't even know.
2: You know, I I downloaded one of your podcasts when Berkey was on. Right. I I listened to a uh, I saw Berkey posted uh, you know on his Twitter or something um, that he was on one of your podcasts and I downloaded one of your podcasts and I, I, you know, liked the format of the podcast. I liked the, the long form interview, uh, you know, formats and, and conversations. Uh, so I just had listened to, you know, a few more of them and, uh, you know, Berkey had spoken, um, highly of you. And, you know, I know that, uh, from you know, the work that you had done too, that you had a lot of experience both in the live arena and the online arena. So, you know, for me, it was a very specific uh, search process of, I, I wanted to find someone who wasn't just an online player, who wasn't just a live player, but someone who really could help me specifically transition from that live space to the online space.
1: Yeah. Berkey's, Berkey's one of my favorites. He's, him and I like, most people, well, nobody really knows, but like me and Berkey, whenever we book a podcast together, we end up talking for like an hour and a half before we even start recording. It's like, (laughs) and sometimes like that hour and a half is like some of the best material that comes out of the conversation is like never even recorded and just kind of lost in the ether. But Berkey's, he's a good guy. He's very generous. And I know that like people, some people just don't like Berkey and I, I can't really imagine exactly why because he's just a, to me, he's just kind hearted, generous, really giving human being that wants the best for the world and for people who endeavor to play poker at a higher level. Yeah, um
2: I couldn't agree more. So
1: and uh circling back to Discovering Me and going through my material, what do you think was upgraded, I guess, in your time going through private coaching with me? And then pretty sure you've bought all the courses as well now, too.
2: Yeah. I mean, I might've, uh, I'm not sure the full list that you have, but I, I have a number of them. So
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think you have all, all the ones that are publicly available. Right there we
2: now. go. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, um, as you know, it, a lot of it was simplification of, of process, right. So, um, you know, getting down to, you know, realizing that, you know, I'm one, my time to make every decision is limited. Uh, Two, I'm not gonna have all of the data points that I potentially would have live. Um, You know, three, unless I'm like really good in the chat, I'm not gonna be able to, uh, you know, needle any uh, pieces of information out through some table talk, right? Mm -hmm. So, So getting myself into a situation where I had more of a structured plan for uh you know various scenarios before they came, but also having a simplified uh thought process uh, in place to kind of work my way through any problem that I face in the middle of a session because that's that tended to be wherever I when I was doing a lot of leak finding in the past, I would always find that like my i, I would I would be susceptible to these kind of like little mini bouts of just Huge negative rushes, right? So, and, and a lot of that would come down to I, I'd be faced with a decision that maybe I would take a little bit longer on, and I might make the wrong decision and you know lose a hand for whatever it is. But that all of a sudden would cloud my head for the other decisions I'd be making over the course of the next five to ten minutes. And then next thing I know, I drop three buy-ins in ten minutes, right? So uh, you know, uh, being able to kind of simplify that thought process and um, help kind of keep me in that mindset of, okay, just move on to the next problem, move on to the next problem and, you know, just continue kind of thinking through things in terms of simplified heuristics. That's kind of helped me kind of lessen those those moments, <laughs> the bleeding moments when they happen too, so
1: yeah and you have the data right like the hands yep. in your database you can review it whenever you want so like there's no reason to really ruminate on something that like it's there we it's there waiting for us whenever we feel bad about ourselves and finally decide to go back and look at all the mistakes that we've made over the past you know week or month uh, well that's my
2: favorite time in the uh, in our coaching sessions when um you know you can hear me in the play and explain component say something about a hand that happened five minutes pre- previously and you kind of reiterating to me and saying like, Hey man, just like, you gotta, you gotta let this, this hand go and yeah. move on to the next one. <laughs> I think,
1: it. I think another sort of thing that you struggled with were it's not just the simplification, but it's also like the over complexification of specific spots and kind of um, going through some like lines that you took and asking you, why are you doing this? What does your strategy look like holistically here? Like, what are you checking? If you're betting this, like, what are you checking? How are you defending your checking range? And sort of, I think that's honestly a thing that like, whenever you get two higher level people together, um, just breaking strategies and like showing them, hey, your strategy is flawed here. It's broken. Um, Despite all this complexity that you've added, it's kind of like eye opening to where like, oh shit, like, they're right. Like this strategy is broken and it's very obvious to me now. And then sort of simplifying a strategy that's more resilient and less exploitable is sort of like, I mean, that's the secret sauce of coaching. It's like, let's break things. You know, I think that's what I love the most about the group and the people that I'm plugged in with is like, I'm happy when people try to break what I'm doing. I'm happy when like somebody shows me a flaw in my thought process, because it's like, Cool. This is where the growth happens, right? It's not in. Well, you get better. <laughs> yeah, it's not in everybody agreeing with you all the time. It's not in just defending your position. It's in let's break some shit and see if either a the strategy is resilient enough to hold up. In which case, cool, we gain more confidence. Or b it's not, and we upgrade our strategy. So anyway, yeah, that was. You're. Are you winning at online poker now these days? We haven't. Yeah.
2: I'm. Uh, I, I'm. I had my. Best month ever in May, followed up by my new best month ever in June. Um, there we go. Uh, July. Uh, I, I actually took the last like month off for you know family vacations and and, and things like that. But uh, you know May and June were really really good to me. Um, you know I've also been kind of dipping my toes in the MTT waters, which has been um, you know going well for me so far too. I've actually had some pretty good success playing um, online MTT. So it's been. It, it's kind of back to where it was, you know, back in the early 2000s where I have a nice little kind of side uh, income that's, you know, is not going to replace anything from my day job. And it's not nearly at the, you know, volume or, or, or dollar amount that uh, would need to be to be able to replace that. But it's, you know, nice side money that's going to, you know, fund my World Series trip this, this uh, fall and, uh, you know, funds kind of more fun things for me, which has been, um, you know, nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, not many hobbies make money and yeah, are that's that's as true. engaging as poker, right? And just kind of immersive and it's fun. I to me like knowing what I know about you now, like it's fun ex- exploring your curiosity, seeing how things work, putting the pieces together, figuring out just like the holistic view of poker and strategies and where people's flaws are and like that that to me has always been the draw of poker. Um so Let's talk about what you're working on now at Lukic.io. I know you you've got your workbook. You want to explain to the listener what's going on with your workbook. Where you see this project moving to in the future?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, So I I so I built out uh, my website and I really started just kind of uh, diving into. Solver world, uh, um, and and I started kind of seeing different uh, things as a part of my work uh, using kind of the aggregation reports in in, in Pyo uh, and uh, writing out kind of more theoretical uh, content, um, you know, as it relates to uh, different formations or scenarios. But I, you know, w- this goes back to when I was at the Software Y Academy. I, I was I've been working on this uh, you know, data aggregation report for a long time now. Um, I, and I had something together where, I took 184 flops, and it's kind of the 184 flops that people use whenever they do these, uh, you know, mass data analysis reports. There, it's on the PO solver or solver website, and you know, that's meant to be. You know, while there are something like 22,000, you know, 100 uh, flops in the game, that 184 subset is meant to be a good model or a good, uh, you know, kind of subset to model the entire game. So, uh, you know, I have a nice powerful PC, so uh, I, you know, ultimately. Uh, started solving, you know, all 184 of those flops across a lot of different formations. Um, And, you know, what you get with that is just a lot of data. Uh, And, you know, as we've, you know, kind of mentioned earlier, is that uh, one of my skill sets is kind of taking a lot of raw data and, you know, visualizing it and and presenting it in a way in which you can actually use that to, to get insights out of that. So I kind of started putting that into a spreadsheet where I would use as my own little personal study resource. Uh, so I, I shared that with some friends or some, uh, you know, other professionals who I had met through solve for y and, you know, all of them had the same reaction of like, you know, hey man, you could probably make some money off of this if you, if you, if you sold this. Uh, so I, you know, polished it up and uh, put it on my website for sale. Uh, and it's, um, you know, it's been, it's, I've, I've got some good feedback so far from my audience. It's uh, what I have is basically uh, of those 184 flops i've solved them all for 52 different formations um, using equilibrium uh pre-flop uh solves as well so it really is truly it's giving um it's spitting out the uh betting and checking frequencies uh for both the in position and out of position player across all of those 52 formations, you can go down to the granular flop level, or you can—it's rolled up at a lot of different categorizations. Whether it's at the formation level, um, you know, grouping different flop types together, right? So, looking at maybe flush draw boards, or looking at like straight draw boards, or uh, you know, paired boards, or any combination of those. The workbook kind of does a good job of kind of letting you slice and dice the data to, um, you know, see things in different viewpoints.
1: And from for me, who's gone through a very similar process in creating my products and my courses and stuff like that. I recognize like, I, I know that people have asked me like, what software do you use to to do your stuff? Like how, how does this work? Right. And I, I sort of like see what they're getting at. Like they want to basically reverse engineer what I'm doing and just kind of do it on their own to construct their own strategies. And what people don't always see is that like in the production process, at each step, um, a thing gets more refined. And when you go through the raw data aspect of it, you're like, oh, why am I going to pay Lukic? like whatever, how much ever your workbook costs? How much does it cost? Like 300 bucks? Uh,
2: 250.
1: 250. Why am I going to pay Lukacs 250? I can just do this on my own. Right. Well, that's going to take you a very long time (laughs) a very long and you're going to do a much worse job of organizing everything and figuring out how to use the data that that you have and like how to how it makes sense um as just a utility and that's what i found like in my own data research it's like okay like having the information is like great but that's like a very early stage of the production process now we have to like Analyze it even deeper. Now we have to organize it. Now we have to structure it in a way that's like understandable. Now I have to be able to communicate to my students and my customers, like how this works and why it's structured the way that it is. And like at each step of that production process, it just gains in value. And so the people out there that are like, yeah, I'm just going to do it on my own, easy, easy peasy. I would say that like it's not easy peasy and best of luck because what goes into creating something like this is a lot of concentrated hours and effort and a massive amount of problem solving that you can't even really understand until you go through it yourself.
2: A hundred percent. And I mean, I, you know, I, I, to be fair, I, I think in the creation of 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 that workbook i learned a lot along the way so there is a benefit of doing that as well too but you know if if i could have gotten what i had for 250 dollars i would have done that because it was a lot of hours right so um you know uh it's not uh it 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 certainly was a lot of a lot of work uh to, to put all of that stuff together um, and then you know it's not only really like just running all of the solves right but like then kind of like being able to pivot and visualize the data is a is a big 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 effort i guess.
1: So. Yeah like how do i put this together? Um, how do i construct this? Like how how do i how do i put this together in a way that's like usable for a human yeah. being? It's easy. Yeah. Like if i just did a webinar on like raw pio outputs i could do i could do an hour instantly. It'd be easy and it wouldn't yeah. be useful to anybody. Yep. Um yep. so I know that, you know, you and I have spoken, we're most likely going to be working together. I know that you've used the texture definitions and things like that in Fish in a Barrel and Feeding Frenzy. You're starting to add that to your workbook. I don't know if that's public yet, but um, that's going to be... I think huge for the village and my audience just because seeing the baseline strategies and then seeing like through my data research of like what people are actually doing in these spots sort of the difference and why these strategies are in place I think will help it resonate and cement the concepts in in folks brain much better.
2: Yeah, it's um you know and and as you mentioned uh yeah it's uh the one good thing about kind of uh the way I have it all set up now is that um, you know, if I'm, if I'm making changes to the workbook, especially on making changes of like the categorizations of different flops, it's not as difficult to make that change now because I'm just adding something to a flop database table, as opposed to kind of, you know, changing it all throughout the entire workbook. Yes. Uh, but um, it's in my next, my next version of the workbook I'm planning on releasing, you know, hopefully uh, in September, if, if not, it'll be maybe a lot October or so, but I plan on including you know more upgraded descriptors of 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 flops. Uh, one of which being the CPG uh, breakdown. So that you know, once we have that in place, um, all of the filtering capabilities throughout the entire workbook. Now we can look at all of our different views, all of our different boards, all of our different formations, and have that kind of uh, flop metadata of you know whatever CPG kind of texture categorization that we have on that particular board. We can roll it up together and look at all all of the you know like groups
1: together. And for the record, I want to state that like this texture categorization, the credit goes to the Death Star HUD, the weasel, the guy that made the Death Star HUD. He's the one that came up with those texture categorizations. And, you know, if somebody does something that's really good, I'm not going to (laughs) go out of my way to try to come up with something better because it's like a shit ton of work. There are some things that I would like to add in there, but I think that will be done down the line. And ultimately, you know, one of my major goals in life is just to make enough money through CPG so that I can afford you. And then (laughs) we can work together into like solving poker holistically, because um, I love the stuff that you're doing. And I love how it relates and integrates with the stuff that I'm doing. I think just think it makes a lot of sense to kind of use those two things together. And so now, I'll ask you know what are your what are your future goals as it relates to poker? What are your goals? Uh, Are you planning on playing more MTTs? Are you planning on playing bigger cash?
2: You know, I like this is definitely a question I've been thinking a lot about uh, over the course of the last few years, and you know, it's I'm I'm definitely at a point in my life now where you know, poker is a big part of my life. I would um, I would love to have uh, a poker related. You know, something poker related be the the primary source of, of of how I make my living, right? If I could spend all my days, every days, you know, thinking about something poker related, that would be awesome, and I, I, I would, it would certainly be something I would be interested in pursuing. What I do know now is that I I, I don't want that 100 time being playing. Um, it just doesn't make sense for me, and you know, uh, you know, this, uh, anymore. Uh, but um, I, I do want to continue to just to play higher. So, you know, as live opens up more, uh, you know, my market isn't the best in the sense that I live in. I moved from DC to Detroit. DC was a really, really, really good poker market. Uh, Detroit's decent. Um, you know, um, I, I live in Ann Arbor, uh, you know, 30 minutes outside of Detroit. Um, there are a few casinos there, which is nice, uh, you know, but you're also kind of lucky if you get a 5-10 game running. So, you know, a lot of times you're still kind of stuck playing 2-5 or, you know, maybe, you know, you get a 5-10 game running. So, the, you know, live poker, if I'm going to get those higher higher stakes or uh, games, it's going to be on trips to Vegas or LA or, or whatever the case may be. But uh, definitely learning MTTs more. Um, I plan on taking my first World Series trip. So I got 10 days out there in Vegas in October, um, and I'm going to fire in a few events out there. But, um, you know, otherwise, you know, just kind of continually just trying to get better at at playing Uh, on the more professional side, I'm I'm figuring that out right now. And I I have a specific project that's in the works uh, that I'm excited about where I'm kind of really taking a lot of my, uh, you know, data driven technology experience and kind of mashing it up with, uh, you know, poker software and poker technology. And, uh, and hoping to, uh, you know, I'm not ready to kind of share a lot of details about that yet, but I'm hoping to um, have something towards the tail end of this year where I actually go to the market and, um, you know, kind of see the, what the response might be with that as well.
1: A uh, little crumb for us to chew on as we're nearing the end here, a uh, bit of curiosity to peak our interest. Um, I'm, I'm interested and I, I would certainly be interested in talking to you. Uh, when the lights go down about this project that you have in the works. Um, I guess, well, I'll ask a couple more questions and we'll we'll wrap up. Uh, I am curious, given your background in data analysis and then the presentation organization of data, of your thoughts on Feeding Frenzy specifically that I created using mass data that's like sea bedding versus fish, the structure of it, um, just really your opinion on what I managed to come up with uh basically training myself from ground zero over the past year
2: well, I love that it's simplified i um so uh you know I guess um you know i I'll, I'll try to uh say it so I don't uh give away your uh the, the, the secrets within the course but um, sure. you know I, I, what I love about it specifically and you've you've kind of showed me or shared some of the the data that you know how you kind of uh, built some of uh, the the strategies that are in there is that it's it's a simple to follow uh, view of and, and a simple breakdown uh, of of how you should be playing different scenarios against a specific profile of opponent right and I think that's what I love about it specifically is it it helps me focus my brain, like once you internalize the heuristics that are in there, which, you know, that's my favorite part actually about the feeding frenzy is, um, cause you have a lot of data it's, you know, for the, the people who ha- do not have it, it's, you know, something like what, like a 30 or 40 page workbook or something like that. or PDF. Like
1: fifty. <laughs> okay. Actually. So yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's lot a lot, of, it's
2: a lot of, uh, information in there, but, uh, the information, you know, some of which is, you know, some of the pages are, you know, specific to lines that you may not necessarily reach that, that often. Right. So it's, you know, you know, you're, there's different amounts of real estate, uh, you know, devoted towards different portions of the game tree. Some of which you get to way more often than others, but if you don't don't get
1: raised, you don't get raised on the turn that often, but you will have to break down like your defense strategy when you get raised on the turn on across all different board types and sizes. Right.
2: Exactly. Right. You know, this, which is a table that you may, you know, it may be relevant to you, uh, you know, like, One time over the course of a session, but when that happens, it's really relevant to you. Sure, Um, you know. uh, But what I love about the the way you've organized it, which is this, to me, is 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 the thing that's you know I'll kind of tie it back to my day job. Of you know, I have a team of 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 young and hungry data scientists, and they're all. One of the things that you end up seeing with a lot of people when they're presenting information and presenting data is they they like to kind of take this kitchen sink approach, right? Like, uh, let me just show you all of the information without kind of realizing that the person consuming things, even if they are data heavy, they haven't spent nearly the amount of hours that you have in that data. And they're not necessarily going to be able to kind of pull out insights quickly by looking at it. So it's always important to kind of take it a, a data analysis one step for, further and kind of simplify things and say and give that so what, right? Like what do I care about about this piece of information and why is it important? And that's what I love about what what you did here in in Feeding Frenzy is kind of the the um the heuristics that the whole the heuristics that you have at the end of the, of the Feeding Frenzy it, it it kind of simplifies things so that you can go and say, okay, well I don't actually have to go through and internalize that it's, you know, bet two thirds pot here on all of these, these boards, because you've already have a one bullet heuristic that says we're betting two thirds pot in all of these scenarios. Right. So I can quickly kind of take that as opposed to just looking through the data and coming up with those simplifications myself, you've already kind of laid a lot of that out, which makes it a lot more easy to internalize.
1: Yeah. I stumbled on that actually, while I was doing it, I was just like, man, I answer a lot of the same questions over and over and over again. I'm just going to start writing this shit down. Like all the things that are like the broad heuristics that allow you to consume, you know, 80% of this 50 page PDF within, you know, 15 or 20 different rules that just allows you to apply it kind of broadly and much more quickly. It was just like, pure selfish driven of me not wanting to answer the same questions over and over. And also being like, I see the patterns here, right? Like I'm learning it as I'm creating it, which is like an interesting thing that you learn when you're, you go through this process. Like you said, you learn a lot through creation. So I'm like learning and then I'm like putting the pieces together and I'm like, ah, this makes sense. Like I can bucket all these strategies in sort of one specific spot. And I just, it was like an organic thing that I just kind of stumbled into while I was in the process of making it.
2: You know, I, I the point that you made too of, of answering that same question, and and again, I'll go back to my day job, and I I talk to the people on my team a lot, and you know, the the objection that a lot of times you'll get is, well, it actually takes it takes a decent amount of time to actually go through the data and come up with some of these heuristics and insights, and I'll say, well, that's that's true, but how often do you get all of these questions, right? And you're getting the same question over and over and over again. So whenever you're getting the same things over and over and over again, finding areas to kind of automate the response to those questions and or kind of develop um, kind of simplifications to send out alongside with whatever dashboard or piece of information that you have, um, when you're not getting those questions anymore, now you have far more time to be able to do other things, right? Which is just you know the name of the game if you're trying to improve your productivity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You got to get in front of it. This was the first time I got in front of it and I realized I'm going to get (laughs) asked questions. So I'm going to get in front of this um, because I'm either going to have a meltdown and just throw my hands in the air and be like, I'm not doing any more of this. It's too much. I only have 24 hours in a day where I got to automate some of this bullshit so that I don't have to just answer these questions over and over. Um, Cool, man. Yeah. Just uh, I was curious from your professional standpoint, uh, feeding frenzy, because it's, yeah, it's when you create something like that and you put it out there, there's this level of vulnerability that's like, man, I hope this resonates with people. I hope they get it. Um, I hope it's good enough that still to this day kind of drives me and scares me a little when I release something new.
2: Yeah, no. And it's, uh, I, I get that. I mean, that's, I had the same thing when, you know, I I released out my workbook, which is, you know, what if someone, you know, Buys it and says this is crap, right? And like you know, and so you know you definitely have that kind of uh, potential fear when you're putting yourself out there too. So
1: absolutely. Uh, so a couple more questions and we'll wrap up. If you could wave a magic wand right now, change one thing about poker, what would it be? You
2: know, I I don't know how you actually do this, right? So this is uh, the magic you know,
1: this... wand, obviously. That's <laughs> that's <right. laughs>
2: um, you know, the one thing I I think that uh, is makes poker challenging um for the uh, as a spectator sport one or just as a you know just the general audience and uh is not having a clear understanding of results from everyone right so like you can look at someone's hand mob but that's it right and i we've seen you've seen like tweets around like negron you will post his like buy-ins alongside of his results and you know some of the other you know guys will do that but you know from an mtt standpoint you don't ever see you know how many tournaments people are firing into. Uh, um, So all you see is kind of the results. Um, Cash games, I don't even know how you even go about that. But like the struggle I think you run into is, is a lot of, you know, a lot of just poker marketability ends up being, you know, can you market yourself on Twitter or can you market yourself to a larger base? And your results almost are secondary or even kind of way farther down on the list as to, you know, whether it's important or not. Whereas I would love to be able to see, and I don't know if this is like a league or whatever the case is, right? Like, you know, to me, having the, like, I love the sense of competition, right? And I love the sense of knowing like who is better than who. And, you know, without having that understanding, it makes it m- more difficult for the the common observer to to follow along, I think at least.
1: Yeah. And I think that anything that's done like that probably is going to alter the game of poker as it's perceived currently because the game of poker as it's perceived currently is not actually like the game that's being played um which i think is just something that's not very obvious to lower level players you know it's like yeah these guys they are playing this tournament and they make these decisions that are based on data points that are we don't know what they're basing their data points on and basically based on research that they've done off the felt that is showing them like the best strategy for the situation, then they're deviating. And like the strategy, that's actually the gold behind the decision. But we never really get to see exactly what the strategy is. We just see the indecision, which, you know, can sometimes be super compelling and other times not. And again, there's no way to even discern who's making very high level decisions yeah. and who's just clicking buttons.
2: That's why I loved um, when you know to take things back to Berkey and software. That's why I loved when Poker Out Loud came out was because I, I thought that was a really cool innovative concept to be able to get into the decision making process and you know um, you know even you know because I was lucky enough to be able to get to experience that and do that myself in their student season and you know it's, it's it was challenging right so but like you know like that you're getting in someone's brain as they're thinking and actually diving into the thought processes and decision making um, that to me is is the goal. You're right.
1: Yeah. And I think I I, I've always respected Nick Howard just as a human being and the way that he thinks about things and his views on life and all that stuff. But hearing his thought process on poker out loud was like, I'm I'm impressed. Like I'm very impressed at the way that this human being thinks about poker in the game. And that's not something that like I would have gotten to experience had it not been for poker out loud. Uh, One of these days, I'm sure I'll get to be on, on poker out loud, uh, probably when pandemic dies and <laughs> it makes sense to kind of go out there, but I think it'll be fun. Like, I, I think yeah. it's a fun experience. Um,
2: it was a fun experience. I will say it was, uh, cause I got asked that a lot, which was like, you know, how was uh, doing poker a lot? And I, I, you know, I always say it was intimidating. It was also extremely like boring <laughs> and, and tedious in the sense that you'd fold a hand and then you'd have to just wait 15, 20 minutes in silence on your phone while the rest of that hand (laughs) played out. So if you got a, you know, like I would have plenty of orbits where I think over the course of we played over the course of nine hours, we played like 50 hands or something like that. It was like, you know, nine orbits or whatever it was over, over eight or nine hours. Uh, you know, you get a cold stretch of cards. You're just not seeing action for, for like an hour and a half or two hours, very difficult to stay in the, in the zone.
1: Oh, I believe it. Plus you can just go card dead over 90 hands. That's exactly right.
2: And that's what happened to me, right? So I, you know, I remember at one point I I was card dead for two and a half hours, and then all of a sudden I look I look down at Ace King and I get excited. So I, you know, perk up and you know, open my ace king. Everyone folds around. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, all right, well,
1: the only hand of the day where everybody (laughs) just folds around. No nobody has anything to say.
2: Exactly. Um, So
1: Cool, man. It's been great having you on. Uh, Look forward to all the work that we're going to do together in the future. Appreciate your insights, your wisdom, and learning more about your journey. And for the podcast listener, final question is going to be, where can they learn more about Michael Lukic on the World Wide Web?
2: Yeah. So uh, you can go to my website, uh, Um, uh, lukic.io. Like I said, I'm not super active there, but when I have any updates, I, I do post that. I'm also on like Twitter and Instagram. I, I have accounts. Uh, I virtually never go on there. Um, so, you know, I uh, <laughs> you can, I, I, I get the, the direct mentions and things like that. So if people want to reach out to me that way, but the website is usually the best way because you could just go to the contact form of the website and uh, send me a note. Um, I have all of my, you know, coaching stuff there. I have all of my work there. And, you know, that's awesome, the best man. way to keep in touch.
1: Luke, Luke, h.io you got it yeah all right thanks man thanks for your time and your energy appreciate it have a good rest of your day
2: brad thanks a lot you too
0: thanks for listening to chasing poker greatness you can subscribe on apple podcasts or on your favorite podcast app go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter join the greatness village community book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.